Sorry, I was eating chocolate while I was telling Anya I think I've got a sugar addiction. <laughs> so I'm going to come on cat relief. <laughs> oh dear, the joys. Um, okay, well good morning, it's, it's great to see you. My name is Tammy, as Stephen said, and I'm on staff here at, thank you Anya, I'm on staff month um, called Awake My Soul. And our goal during this series um, has to be think thinking about what it means to care for the soul. Um, so just a quick recap about the soul. Dallas Willard um, in Renovation of the Heart says, what is running your life at any given moment is your soul, not external circumstances or your thoughts or your intentions or even your feelings, but your soul. The soul is the aspect of your whole being that correlates, um, integrates and enlivens everything going on in the various dimensions of the self. The soul is the life center of any human being. The soul is what makes you, you. And we use this helpful diagram, which should be coming up now, which illustrates how much the ancient world understood what we call the anatomy of personhood. And you've seen this every week now, so it should be in your mind. Um, but the first circle would be our will, and that is the core of who we are. It's our ability to make choices, and that's what makes humans distinctive um, from any other um, person in creation. In scriptures, when it addresses the will, it often refers to the heart or the spirit of a person. The next circle was the mind. Oh, all the words are up there, yeah. The mind can also refer to our thoughts and our feelings, so our memories, the conscious, our values, how we feel about ourselves, our experience and our emotions, like guilt or joy, and all of this comes under the mind. And we all know that the mind doesn't operate logically. Then we have the body, and this is where all kinds of appetites and habits take place, like sugar addiction. Now, our body is subject to the mind and the will, but it doesn't always pan out that way. Sometimes the body will take over and the mind becomes enslaved to the desires of the body. This is where addictions take place. And seriously, if there is anything small like that, go on the course. Um, and then the last circle is the soul. And the soul is what integrates all of the parts of the body together. Our will, mind, body in one single person. The soul was made for us to live in harmony and be at peace with ourselves, with others but mainly with God. The soul is really important. And again, from Dallas Willard's renovation of the heart, he says the soul is the capacity to integrate all of those parts into a single whole life. And last week, Stephen looked at um, the dark night of the soul. And that was from an old expression that some of you may have heard. The dark night of the soul describes a person who may have hit rock bottom or experiencing a life of despair, and how the soul is in the place we feel our greatest pain. And this week, we actually decided, or I decided, that we should continue the theme of the dark night of the soul. Time was very limited last week, um, in a good way. But we thought it would be really good. One of the things I came away was thinking, it's, you know, we have dark nights of the soul, but how do we get through it? How do we travel through the valley, through the dark night, without stagnating and letting that take root? Um, and Steve, last week, um, spoke from Psalm 23. I don't know what's going to come up. Even though I walk 
through the darkest valley. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And we talked about that being a place where you walked through and not where we stood still. And many things cause us to go into the valley, but there's probably only a few things to remain in, that cause us to remain in one spot rather than to press on and journey through. And more often than not, we start the walk and we almost have that feeling like this is going to be a real valley. And then we're walking and then we're crawling. We're on our knees and then we lie down and then we just stay there. And we give up the questioning, we give up the fight. And we almost imagine life there in the valley, in the shadows. And a life in the shadow can often mean a life of contempt, misery, despair. It's those times where we often turn away from God and we blame God rather than to God. And we, we don't ask him anymore. And so I just thought we'd have a little bit of a look at why we do this and can it be resolved. And it starts basically with our disbelief. We don't believe for ourselves the truth that is rooted in the very good book. And I forgot to bring my Bible up. This very good book, (laughs) Uh, the Bible. We discount that God loves us and that he chooses us and that he has a plan for our life. We speak over ourselves the very opposite of words that are restoring to our soul. We say and believe that God has rejected us, that he's abandoned us in that place, and his plans are for other people, not me. And one thing that it's taken years of my faith for it to ring true in me is that from the very start of the book in Genesis 1, God made everything good. There wasn't sin, there wasn't a fall from grace, there wasn't imperfections. It says, God made us good. And what we see as we read on is that, yes, Satan comes in, he interrupts paradise with a few little twisted whispers. He didn't even have to change the things God said, he just said it in a different way and corruption entered in. And it just made me think about what are the whispers I believe for my own life twisted little whispers of the words God has said but they corrupt our minds and the soul at that moment is just being dried up from our core and last week on Sunday I shared um, just a small word at the end like the week away we'd been on um, a week away at a leaders conference and I truly truly believe that God had chosen people but he hadn't chosen me. I just believed that that wasn't for me. I believed I was the child I grew up as, um, a grubby little child watching from the corner whilst God did all these amazing things for people. But God really spoke to me about how he'd scooped me up and he'd held me to him like the lost lamb that had, you know, travelled away. And what I'd done is I'd actually taken a picture of my old life, my old self, one that was full of neglect and corruption, and I'd sewn that into God's picture of me. So I thought we'd just open that up a little bit and see how the tiniest of whispers can cause us to live in the disbelief and our effect on the ability to draw on God, who is the only person that can restore our soul. 
I became a Christian when I was 14. Um, it wasn't like an amazing conversion. My mum came to faith and it just changed her life. Um, and she was quite an angry person. She was like, you will come to church. <laughs> so it's all a bit like meant to be changing, but um, it's a process. Um, but I enjoyed being part of the youth group. You know, I was really glad she did it to me now. And at the period of time, you know, I enjoyed going to church. I began to learn about Jesus. And mainly to begin with, in the, the kind of church I was in, it was, and I think it was probably the era, it was all about going to hell. It was all about you're a sinner and you're going to go to hell. And it was a bit like, oh, I don't want to do that. But then I began to read the Bible and I began to hear things that made me think about God's gifts and the legacy that God had left behind, not just for everyone, uh, but for me. Um, And that was from Isaiah 61. And he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he had sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And I was amazed to hear that that was my legacy and I wanted it to be part of my life. But somehow, the moment I tried to step into that, the moment I get excited about that, is always the moment that I begin to doubt myself, to doubt that I'm hearing God. And every time it felt that God reminded me, the whispers would come and the whispers would remind me how I'd grown up, how I'd been neglected and abused, and that that is who I was destined to be. And that was it. I couldn't move on from that. Because at that stage, my soul has so many holes and chinks in it. It was like anything that was going in was just coming out. And so I got distracted by the whispers and that stuff from Isaiah, did God really promise that to you? I'm sure that's not meant for you. Have you seen what you look like? Have you seen um, what you've got to offer? Have you got anything to say? You know, look at all the things you've done wrong. And at no point in reality has God said any of those things to me or to you. But as I said, my soul was already in a place of desolation and I hadn't drawn or learned to draw on the wells of God's truth for my life. And our soul is like that. It's like a river. It encompasses us, but it's a river that runs through the center of us. One that is life-giving. Like on a really hot sunny day and you come inside and all you want to do is, you know, put ice in a glass and drink cold water or beer. (laughs) Sometimes it's beer, isn't it? The soul feeds the roots of the fruit we bear in our life. A lush green tree can even be a lush green tree when it's in a a shadowed valley because what it does is its roots stretch into the ground and it draws from the streams that run under and and, and it will produce fruit in that place because it's replenished by that. 
And that is God's living water in us. It's what replenishes our soul. Is it being replenished so that our roots go deep down so that even when we're in that valley place, we can praise God. And if you don't know God's truth for your life, there are loads of good places to start in the Bible. And I thought, well, I'll have a look at a couple. And I think one A4 page later, I was like, well, this is going to go on for a long time. You know, but really, if you're struggling to know God's truth for your life, you only need to do a little search and you'll soon come across something that says that God is for you. Take time to, to wander through. And even if you pick two, meditate on them. Meditate on God's word day and night for the sake of your soul. Believe them. And as we spoke about, spend time in solitude just sitting in the presence of God. And even if in that quiet, you only have that one verse that you hold on to, wait quietly and be filled to overflowing. Be constantly filled to overflowing. Don't allow the subtle whispers to take away what's you know rightfully yours. And the more we embrace the truths from the scriptures about who we have become in Christ, the deeper the water runs through and feeds our soul so that we can walk through the valley, bear fruit. We don't dwell enough in the times we live in. We don't rest enough to draw in God's truth. And our soul remains dry and we lay down in the valley, in the shadows, and we remind ourselves that the truths don't apply. We can sometimes have the attitude that our valleys are much deeper than anyone else has experienced. You know, but we don't have to compare our valleys to anyone else's. We just have to read the story of Jesus. If you have asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be in your life, to guide you and govern you, I can firmly say that yes, all these things apply to you without exception. You are loved, you are treasured. You know, and maybe you haven't asked God to be in your life and to govern your life, then please don't leave today without asking someone how to do that. One story that has spurred me on when feeling in the valley place and feeling all is lost is the story of, um, it's one of my favourite stories, of Chicago lawyer Horatio Spafford. And he wrote a worship song titled, It Is Well With My Soul. It's a lovely, lovely hymn. Um, And a few years back, James Mumford um, wrote a really good article about it. So I thought I'd plagiarise it, (laughs) because it's my favourite story. Um, And he wrote the song, when you look at that, peace like a river, tendeth my way. Um, You'd kind of think that he was in a good place, be forgiven for thinking he was in a really good place. He was at the height of his career and it was the best time of his life. But instead, he had suffered the most unimaginable personal tragedy. Horatio and his wife, Anna, were prominent supporters and close friends uh, in the 1800s of the famous preacher, D.L. Moody. However, in 1870, things started to go wrong. Their only son, the Spafford's only son, was killed by scarlet fever at the age of four. A year later, Horatio, who had invested heavily um, 
in the real estate on the shores of Lake Michigan lost every single one of his holdings in a great fire. So his son had gone and he'd lost his wealth. And Horatio and his wife Anna were prominent supporters of Moody. And so they decided that as the toll of the disasters had taken them, they would go to England and they would rest and they would support Moody um, on one of his evangelical campaigns. Um, And as they planned to join him, they they travelled to New York and then they were going to catch the French steamer Ville de Havre across the Atlantic. Yet just before they set sail, a last-minute business development forced Horatio to delay. And not wanting to ruin the family's holidays, sent them ahead. It was Anna and their four remaining daughters sailed to England. Nine days later, Spafford received a telegram from his wife in Wales, and it read, Saved Alone. Sorry, it's one, sorry. <laughs> On November 22nd, 1873, the Ville de Havre collided at the Lockhearn, an English vessel, and it sank in 12 minutes, claiming the lives of 226 people on board. Anna had stood, sorry, it's really emotional, on board whilst their children were ripped from her arms. Unimaginable. And she was only saved because she was unconscious and some wood floated beneath her body, kept her alive. And when she had been rescued, she was despairing. You can imagine. Losing everything. And upon hearing the terrible news, Horatio boarded the next ship to New York to join his bereaved wife. And their fifth daughter, who was born much later on, explained that during that voyage, the captain had called him to the deck um, at the point where the ship had sank. The water was three miles deep. Horatio returned to his cabin and wrote that song. He wrote that song. And he based it on his knowledge of 2 Kings 4.26, where the Shunammite woman had lost her child in sudden death. And her soul is vexed within her. But she maintained that it's well. This song reveals a man whose trust in the Lord was unwavering. A man with great personal tragedy lost everything. He lost his family, his assets, but he didn't lose one thing that he knew he had, and that was his soul. He knew God's truth for his life, and he was deep-rooted in that truth, that all could leave, but not the word of God. His soul was replenished with the word of God. And when we're in that valley, he could he had probably every right at that point to say, forget it. It's over. I've lost everything, God. What have you done to me? But he didn't. He said, Lord, this has happened. But Lord, my soul is well. And I can't imagine the battle within him to feel like all was lost. But what we can imagine is our own battles our own battles that give us those same feelings, our doubts and fears, our disappointments, the moments where we're just let down, where we've laid down in the valley and vowed we probably won't get up because God has ruined everything. Believe the truth. You really need to read this 
you really need to know so that when you're in that place, your soul can be replenished. And the second thing that has been really helpful to me, and it's been a journey because it's not always easy to do, and that is to talk to someone. In the times when you're in the shadow and you feel dark, the longer it stays inside you, the longer your soul is drying up. The longer I remain lying down is uh, the longer journey. It's like 6 a.m., the alarm goes off in the morning, you just hit the snooze. I'll do it in a minute. Next time, you know, and then you realize you're late for school, you're running around like a headless chicken. Um, and sometimes we do that for years. We hit the snooze button for years. Crazy things that we think about ourselves, not wishing to speak them out for fear. Fear that someone will again disappoint us. Fear that someone will say, yes, that's completely true. I believe that about you. I believe you're that type of person. And without speaking to my friends, I was constantly giving in to the corrupted whispers and not reminding myself of God's good truth for us. But when we can't remind ourselves in the valleys, our friends can, our good friends. And I know we all have just friends, but there's friends that have been there for you when you're in rock bottom. There's friends where you've been there for them and you know that you can speak to them. Do speak to them because we've all got our story even of how we've got here and how we're sitting here today. And I look back on the craziest things that have happened in my life. And my parents were a product of life in the 60s and 70s. <laughs> Young, volatile. You would not believe it now. You would not believe um, how finding God has, has changed them. They're the most loving people that I could ever know. Um, but, you know, it led to a child, me being a child that was wild and unkempt and fed and washed, seeing and hearing things that even adults shouldn't experience, let alone a child. And this led to periods of time in my life and relationships from very young, you know, just even from very young, that, you know, that I left me. They left me in a place because the relationships were volatile, they were abusive, they were damaging to my very soul. I had no self-respect, no love. I was full of self-loathing. I had no worth. And it took me years and years and years and years to even confess some of those abuses I went through because I believed God and people around me assumed it was my own fault. And I only believed that because of a young life being filled with Satan's whispers and corruptions and believing that I shouldn't speak out. <clears throat> and so I could never be free and I could never be reminded of the truth and of God's word for my life in any way, shape or form. You know, so I've really needed people. I've really needed friends to talk to when I couldn't, I couldn't hear God myself. And I realize this is an ongoing battle. Often, you know, we go into the same valley. Even on Friday night, I was out um, for a meal um, with friends, and I've only known them about eight and a half years, so they know me 
um, completely different. And most of my friends have this ideology of me that I'm just some white middle class person. And, um, you know, that's not true. So speaking about, <laughs> and I don't know how we got onto the subject, but we were speaking about scrumping. Is Ken Willis in the room? It's going to point the mirror at um, And I said to them, I said, well, as a child, me and my brother would do this. We would scrump. We would go into gardens. We would eat, take apples and we'd take plums. And we'd take, we'd, you know, we'd have them on our day out. And even if we walked past someone's doorstep at 10 o'clock in the morning, we'd have the pint of milk as well. Very bad. Don't do it at home. Um, and one of my friends joked to me. She said to me, oh, of course, I bet it was terrible, weren't it? You were starving and everything. And I was just like, oh, yeah, like that. You know, like it was a joke. But actually, because at that moment, it was like, if I speak the truth and say, actually, it wasn't a joke, it was true. I'd instantly, I'd heard Satan's whisper in my ear saying, don't let them think that of you. But actually what it could have been was an opportunity for me to share the goodness of God and to be reminded that I've, I'm not in a life of shame, I'm in a life of freedom. I'm not in a life in the valley, I'm in a life of freedom. I'm in a life of light. And I'm sure it won't be the last time I'm in the valley, but I'm so determined not to lie down in that valley. I'm so determined to get out. You know, and it's easy for me to think life could have gone one way. My life could have been really good. Stephen and I have known each other since we were in nursery. We've been friends since we were in primary school. And, you know, we, I could have just dated him and spent my whole life dating him. And instead, I went through all these horrible relationships and things that happened. And I'm like, God, why did I do that? I could have just had a nice life. But actually, it's like none of that, none of that would qualify you to stand here and share freedom that I can offer you know a life of freedom that we all can take hold of and even sitting with God this week to write this talk and I was lamenting about how people know me they know my story he obviously reminded me that they didn't and growing up on the wrong side of the track God made all things good who needs to hear that blah 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 <laughs> and actually I can think that in my mind and I spoke to a friend and they reminded me that actually it had been ages since I've spoke um, and shared a story and even people here that wouldn't have heard my story. But however, it, it was just a reminder that we shouldn't doubt our story. We shouldn't doubt the valleys and the shadows, but we should move out and remember them. Don't be saying that the things that we have experienced and the things we have inside aren't inspiring or boring or not true. <laughs> because it could be a life changer for the person our faith is on display for all to see and people are hungry to know that their heap of a life can be made good that they are part of a life changing story and although your story is going to be completely different don't doubt what's what god's got in your story so get godly friends that will remind you of the truth in your life when you can't do it for yourself if you don't know how, speak to us. Join a connect group. They're only 12 weeks, but it will help you to pinpoint people that you think, yeah, I can I can trust you. And you can get into a huddle, which are our little groups of three. And you can share things and you can be prayed for. All things that are helpful to stop you holding on in your mind 
at that ground level in the valley. You know, and it's even the little things, even the tiny things that we think about. And there was <laughs> it's a funny story. Um, when, um, when we didn't have connect groups, we had a system house group, so we'd just join a house group and um, we'd kind of do little things each week or an icebreaker. And um, the, we, we were at house group and this, the lady one week decided that our icebreaker would be to write on a piece of paper one really good thing that you liked about yourself. This was hard. This was like really hard for me. And I was going with nothing on this piece of paper because, you know, I really wasn't in a good place. And actually, I wrote down my <laughs> My answer was my wrists. <laughs> I, was like, I like my wrists. They're nice wrists. They're tiny. <laughs> and, um, and I shared that. And uh, she was absolutely in disbelief. She was like, what? She was absolutely in disbelief that that was all I could write on this piece of paper. And she said to me, she was like, but what about your smile? You have an amazing smile. Really? Uh, you know, I just thought I was a miserable person. Because, <laughs> you know, most of my processes were through the valley times. They weren't through the, the love and the gifts that God had given me. And it really kind of struggled for me to kind of say, actually, God, there's some good stuff in me. And even up to last week, when, well, the week before, when we were away at the conference, and I was, I'd said to God, I really want to deal with this valley. Um, and I was in it, and I had an email from someone um, who had also been at the conference. She emailed me, and she said, I just want to tell you, on the Tuesday of the conference, she said, I arrived, and I was walking walking through the auditorium, and she said, I had the world, the weight of the world on my shoulders. I questioned what it was to be here and she said, I was just feeling miserable. And she said, and you looked at me. And she said, you gave me the most beaming smile. She said, and it changed the course of my day. Don't doubt the little things God's given you to change someone. Don't let the things we feel about ourselves interrupt God's purpose for our life. Our purpose to not be in the valley, but to be walking out the valley. Be surprised, be surprised, but take it on board, you know. And I know that it takes trusted people to confess things to, and that takes time. But try, try and do that. I wouldn't even be here today talking, you know, if I didn't trust and believe in what God had said and in the encouragement of my friends, you know, I'm... I'm basically an introvert. If we're in a room of people, I'd rather just not be there. <laughs> I'd rather be at home um, on my own, in a mirror, not in a mirror. Because that was another thing I confessed. I confessed to my friend recently. I said, I find it really hard in, to talk. You know, I'm an introvert, but actually, my facial hair, it just really plagues me. And they were like, what? And I was like, my facial hair, it's so bad. And they're like, never noticed that about you. <laughs> I was like, really? Because it's the only thing I see when I look in the mirror. And it's just like, wow, that's a tiny little thing that I hold on to that prevents me from talking in a conversation. And it's just not true, you know. Um, so, yeah, do that. You know, break down all the tiny little things 
that keep you in the valley place, the things that keep you down. Because um, we need to turn this around. We need to get up. We need to get from crawling to walking to running. We need to practice the discipline of reading the Bible, reading God's word that will restore us tru- uh, truth to our soul. We need to rest in God, acknowledging his voice and the word he speaks. We need to confess our stuff to people around that will remind us and help us and sometimes even carry us through because we don't get out without being carried sometimes. And it's such a precious thing in the times we live in. We live in an age of hurry, of work. There's no rest, there's no solitude. We're constantly being deceived. We all only know this week it's it's Valentine's Day and the thing that's going to be on everybody's lips is, oh, are you going to watch the film? Are you going to watch Fifty Shades of Grey? And that's going to be a battle in itself because it's like the amount of invites I get and it's going to be, no, I don't stand for that. I stand in a place of freedom. I don't stand for women being made to be slaves. I don't stand for prostitution. I don't stand for abusive relationships. I've been there. I know what it's like to be there, and I wouldn't encourage it. But the world is like that. The world is going to encourage us, and it's going to say, oh, it's just a love story. Is it? Is it a love story for women that you may know, men that you may know, children that you may know? You know, the world the devil twists things so quickly and so easily and we're just drawn in because our souls aren't refreshed. So we need to give soul times of refreshing. Our souls are longing to be watered and we're longing to come out of the valley places. And we can only choose to make time to do that. We have to choose that we want to align our will, our hearts, our will, our hearts, our body, our mind and our soul and we want them to be aligned with God all of those components that make us a whole and God wants you to be whole today and he wants you to be whole tomorrow and every day so we're going to stand and we're just going to ask God to come